0: This is Anthony Pascal.
1: And this is Laurie Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. We are excited to be reviewing the first episode of Star Trek Prodigy today, Lost and Found. But first we're going to cover a couple of quick news hits, as the cool kids call it. Starting with the Saturn Awards.
0: Uh, Yeah, not a lot of news this week, but Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard both picked up Saturn Awards. In fact, they were going up against each other for best television series. Um, Saturn Awards are, of course, a longstanding award show for sci-fi and genre uh, media going back to the 70s. Discovery won for best television series, beating out Picard and quite a lot of other shows.
1: And it's won every season, right?
0: Yes and no. The Saturn Awards used to do a weird thing where they divided best television show into new media and old media so streaming shows would be in a separate category from shows that aired on broadcast and cable tv it made no sense but now they've combined (laughs) it so it won for new media shows beating out you know netflix and hulu shows but it never went up against all the other shows so now they've got rid of that weirdness
1: and it's still winning.
0: Sinequa was up for best actress. She had won that award once before, but uh she didn't win this time. But Doug Jones won for best uh supporting actor
1: and wore something extraordinary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was the highlight of the show. He did He you know, looked
1: great. <laughs> he was dressed up in
0: this Sergeant Pepper's thing. I don't, you know, it's just he's such a great, interesting, but a little bit strange guy. And 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 lovable and wonderful guy. And he uh, is like
1: he's very un Hollywood, even though he's been in Hollywood for a long time. Like he's been married to his wife forever, who by the way shares my first name. Um, you know, he's like he's a he's a practicing Christian, unashamed and proud of that. And he's the loveliest, kindest person. Like whenever if I mean tons of fans out there have met him, of course. And he's just this warm, wonderful person. I can't ever see him, like, throwing a tantrum on set or making anybody's life difficult.
0: No. I mean, really, you know, the, the, one of the things about Discovery is that everyone on that show, and really, a lot of it starts from with herself, who is a total sweetheart. And she's also, you know, a person of faith. And I think it flows from her. We know that there's been drama in the writer's room. But on that set, it's all hugs and kisses and sweetness and light really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the affection they have for each other is is very genuine.
0: So on the Picard side, Patrick Stewart won for Best Actor, because he's Patrick Stewart. We did win once before, back in the Next Gen era. Jerry Ryan was up, but she lost for playing Seven on Picard. And Issa Briones was up for Best Newcomer, but she lost out for that one. A total of three awards, which kind of ties franchise record... I think this is the fourth or fifth time since the seventies that they took away three Saturn
2: awards.
1: Nice. Well, with more shows coming in, they'll have a lot more opportunities to get more. All right. We finally have an air date for this new documentary called the center seat. Well, docu series called the center seat that's going to premiere on the history channel on November 5th. And they're actually distributing it in an odd way. So they're putting the first four episodes on the history channel And then the last six will be on their streaming service, which is called the History Vault. So I'm sure there will be lots of angry chatter about that.
0: (laughs) And yet another company trying to goose up their streaming service. But I feel like this show is probably going to be worth it to pay the five bucks, I think.
1: No, and you can wait till all the episodes come out and then do a month and watch them all in one. And I think after you see the first four episodes, you'll have a sense of whether it's worth it to you or not. So in a way, yeah, I don't like having to cough up the extra cash, but I think that it's a smart way to do it. And at least you'll be able to make an informed decision.
0: I've seen the first episode. So have I. We'll talk more about this next week because it's embargoed, but I really liked their approach.
1: Yeah, here's what I I liked most about it was that, you know, even as there obviously there's some of us who've been reading about Star Trek forever and watched tons of documentaries and we know a lot of stuff. And so the the editing I found was a great way to sort of keep the pace up and keep your attention as they talk about things that we maybe already know. And then it's def- they definitely have interviews with people who are giving a level of detail that you probably don't know. But but the quick cutting and the edits and the clips, just keep your interest and keep it flowing the whole time. I think the pace is great. I think Gates' narration, Gates McFadden as the narrator, is also terrific. And the writing for her stuff is excellent.
0: It's quite different from the 2016 documentary that the same team put together.
1: Mm-hmm. That,
0: that was somewhat your kind of generic, dry History Channel documentary. Right but if you're familiar with this company which is called the Nacelles company they're probably better known for their Netflix documentaries they have the toys that made us which had a star trek episode and they have they they just launched the third season of something called the movies that made us and basically this is if you know those shows this is much more styled like those and you can almost think of it as the star trek that made us it's it's got the same tone Mm
2: -hmm. the same
0: pacing and you know i like it a lot better but in but i think at a high level they're making this show for trek fans um so they they they're kind of skipping some stuff that I think they feel like everyone knows like you know the first this isn't too much of a spoiler but the first episode's all about the original series but you're not going to get the MLK story again cuz you know you've heard it right and you don't need it but you're going to get more about a lot more about Lucille Ball you know so anyway um next week we'll have more on that but it's it's definitely worth watching I did have a chat with Brian Weiss, who's the director and owns the nacelles company and it's uh, that interview will go up next week but he's this is such a passion for him he's such a huge nerd a huge trekkie and he's really loving this you know there's so much star trek coming from paramount plus but this is a big deal this show and i think fans should pay attention to it
1: yep i agree completely one other thing we wanted to talk about this week is our own podcast network. So the Shuttle Pod has obviously started off the Trek Movie Podcast Network. And there's a special episode, not like a very special episode, but (laughs) a unique episode is out this week. It's already up. And the Sci-Fi Sisters took over the Shuttle Pod to talk about black representation in Star Trek cinema. And I have to say it's a lot of fun And what they do is they basically set up like a checklist and they say like a Star Trek movie has to pass this. It's sort of like, what's that called? Is it the Bechdel test for women characters in movies? The Bechdel test. So see when you read things, but don't say them out loud, then you can't pronounce them. Um, (laughs) But which is a test of, you know, they are two women in a scene talking to each other, not about a man. So they have a, a fun checklist to see if the Star Trek movies pass the test. You know, things like at least two named characters of color, the characters of color shouldn't have a criminal record, you know, stuff like that. So they're a lot of fun to listen to.
0: I'm really glad that Kayla and the team did this. It's always great to add more diversity to our site and more voices to the Star Trek conversation. So it's definitely worth a listen. Absolutely. There's a tiny bit of Lower Decks news through some conversations on Twitter, Mike McMahon, showrunner has basically not said it but hinted very strongly that there's <laughs> going to be lower deck's books and comics that that are already well in development. John Van Sitter's is a vice president of Viacom CBS Consumer Products jumped into the thread and he also obliquely joked that it was obviously happening but didn't say it was happening so it's you know so let's say it's happening. So I'm kind yeah, of excited about that.
1: There's no, they're, they're making it pretty clear while being cute and cagey that it is definitely happening.
0: My, my only, you know, and I'm not super concerned, but you know, th- there's a lot of great authors that it, uh, that they have both at IDW and at pocketbooks, but Lower Decks is a different sensibility, you know, hopefully whoever they bring on can keep the comedy going.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why I think comic books are a great place for them to start.
0: Yeah. For sure. I mean, if, you know, Mike did write the season eight book way back in the day, but that was before his Rick and Morty time, I think. So he's a little busy right now. I don't think Mike could be brought in to actually do the writing.
1: Right. Or they could have, you know, writers from the show involved in that, which would be great.
0: That would be great. But it's pretty rare to get a real Star Trek screenwriter to get involved in the books and comics if you look at the history of books and comics it's happened it's happened but it hasn't happened a lot and there's reasons for that
1: right but i do think this would be a great place to really do it because those right they're all freelance so they're all like either on their next project or looking for their next project um and they're all so excited about what they're doing so
0: Just a side note, Eagle Moss, who puts out all the ship models and stuff, has announced and revealed they are making a USS Cerritos uh, next year. The XL version is going to be, you know, 80 bucks and it looks great. Eventually, they're going to do a version that has all the hull plating stripped off, I'm guessing, um, because they (laughs) do that. Eagle Moss does, like, they'll do a ship and then they'll do another version of the ship. Right. So it'd be fun to see that version, too, but uh, it's great to see that's coming.
1: Yeah, I saw Mike McMahon was thrilled. Like I, on Twitter, he was just so excited to imagine that this could happen—that he could create a show and then they'd be building ships for it. So I want to talk to you about your experience last night at the Prodigy premiere in Los Angeles.
0: It was a cool, very low-key event, very much like the Lower Decks one, except there really wasn't even a red carpet. So the actors were there, the producers, but was it was case basically- there no kate wasn't there jimmy simpson wasn't there you know so it it wasn't everyone everyone um but all the kids were there i was gonna Uh, say
1: my girl riley was she there
0: (laughs) yep with her dad oh d bradley baker was there i had a really good chat with him but all of this is you know off the record because it's basically a cocktail party with andorian ale and uh, they had a great coffee station, of course, which is called the Janeway Coffee Station. I posted some pics on Twitter, which we could link to. Uh,
1: yeah, we will. You know,
0: there was some fun branded stuff, but it was very small. You know, again, I'm taking compared to the pro, you know the Discovery and Picard premieres, which were pre-COVID, of course, were just huge events, red carpet, Cinerama Dome. Lately, you know, they're done. They've done these just much smaller, intimate things. You know, not a lot of press. You know, there was a guy from Trek Corps there. There was me. I think we were the only press people there, really. It, this is mostly for people who work on the show. But it was great. One thing I can say is a message I got from all the writers and from the Hageman brothers, you know, because they're like, when they see me, they think, oh, no, you know, it's the Trek guy. <laughs> and they really, <laughs> really want to emphasize the show's going to get more and more Star trek as we go deeper and deeper into the season. The other thing is, there are, you, know, you do come away from the pilot with a lot of questions and I have them in my review, but they're like, we know all those. That's all part of the show. All the mysteries, all the stuff. We, we've we thought of this and there are answers to all of those things. But it was it was a, definitely a fun event. I'm curious what they're going to do for Discovery, which is in three weeks.
1: Yeah. I keep wishing that they do something in New York, but we'll see.
0: They did a Paley panel in New York a few years ago for Discovery, and I think those are, of all the types of things, I, I really like the Paley events, and I hope they do another one of those, because they're good questions, and uh, they did one of those in, in Hollywood as well.
1: They had a really good moderator for the one in New York, right? It was Scott Calura, and he was great. And uh, I was at that panel. I thought it was really good. It was fun. And then we did have a red carpet and we did not have an opportunity to do interviews.
0: I really hope they do a Paley panel with the Picard cast and people like, you know, during season three or as it's wrapping up.
1: Yeah. I hope so too.
0: Let's talk about the thing we've been talking about for a month, <laughs> <laughs> which is the, you know, but it's still a bit like, I mean, we're so jaded, but, this is a series premiere of a Star Trek show. You know, that's a, a big I'm deal. Not,
1: I'm not jaded about this one. I'm purely excited. No holding back. I think it's great.
0: At a high level, what did you think of Lost and Found Parts
1: 1 and 2? I loved it, first of all. I thought the music really stood out to me. And I thought it was terrific. It was cinematic. It was evocative. Like I kept noticing it, and I don't always notice. So I thought the music was terrific. I love the way they introduced each character. And I love that so many of the characters have you think one thing because of their appearance and then you find out something else about them, which is a very great theme for the times we live in now. And the way they introduced each one, the way like Dahl, who's the star of the show, is somehow like sort of the most... I wouldn't call him annoying. He's the least appealing character, like to me as a grown person in some ways, which I think is intentional because he has these leadership qualities, but he's also this like show offy nonstop talker. And I think that not only did that give us lots of exposition, but it also he's going to learn. Each character has a lot to learn over time and you can see their journeys, you know, like it was a beautiful setup.
0: They all have their own little issues that you can see where their arcs are headed. But I I did like also in the pilot or, you know, the two-part pilot that we just get a little moment to fall in love with each one of them in their own special way or the opposite for Dreadnought and the Diviner, especially Dahl and Gwyn, who really are the Kirk and Spock of the show you see how different they are mm-hmm. but you know but we you know we know that eventually they're going to get on the same page but i think it's it's in a way a bit daring to have this major character gwyn essentially start off as one of the bad guys
1: yeah well and a very nuanced bad guy because you can tell you can tell from her interaction with the little kitty kation that she has a heart and she has a soft spot and you can tell from her interaction with Dahl that she has a soft spot and yet she's participated in all this stuff. So like that to me is so fascinating and I can't wait to see the changes and the shifts in her and how that's going to play out.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see that her heart is breaking as this is happening. I think that a great moment is when, she discovers the ship for the first time. She sees the ship for the first time dolls on the ship and he asks her one more time to join them. Like he, he reaches, literally reaches out in friendship and she goes, it's too late, you know, because literally, you know, steps behind her is dreadnought and an army of evil little spider bots. And and you can tell she's just so torn by this. Because she sees the ship in the same way he does, which is, oh, my God, this can be our way out of here. But she's kind of in too deep because it's her dad. Yeah. But obviously, they're going to eventually get over that. They're not going to keep her tied up for the whole season. So No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. And if you've seen promos, you see her moving around and doing stuff. The other thing I liked about it was that it's a kid's show that doesn't pander. So it has some some goofy lines and some things that are clearly put in there to amuse the younger set while they're watching, most of which I also enjoyed. But the assumption of this show is that the kids watching are smart, which has always been I like from the original series, the assumption was the viewers are smart. I mean it goes it's like something Rod Serling said, I remember, like some old interview with him talking about the Twilight Zone and talking about it, you have to assume that your viewers are intelligent people. And I love that this show does that.
0: These guys are the, you know, the, the Hageman brothers are Emmy winning show creators who are experts at this, you know, and they did reach out to them to say, how do we make a show for kids? So they knew what they were doing. And I, and I guess their first thought is it's not going to be, quote unquote, for kids. It's going to be for people who are new to Star Trek. They seem to have a Pixar type mentality. And that's not just because it's CG. it's It's for the whole family.
1: It is, and it's very rich. Like, I watched it several times, and every time I watched it, I saw things that I'd missed the first time, the time before.
0: You mentioned the cinematic scale, and I think Ben Hubone is the director, I think, really brings that to life. This, This show is amazingly cinematic, more show than your typical kids' show, and again, bringing back the kind of Pixar mentality. I know that the brothers have talked about how the Star Trek movies really influenced them. I think that the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies really influenced a lot of the tone and the style and certainly the USS Protostar. And then when you get the music, which you mentioned, I mean, obviously Michael Giacchino did the theme song, but Nami Melobad, who's his protege, did the music and it's so vibrant, so alive and so very much like the Giacchino music. That if it weren't her and him working on the show, you'd say, "Oh my God, they're totally ripping off Michael Giacchino." But it's obviously that's part of their feeling. But I, I do like how the the music is a character. The characters seem to have their own little themes. The show can't work with what they're trying to do without these these kind of top notch level things happening with the production and the CG animation. Uh, Because the the kind of emotion that we're talking about with Gwyn, you couldn't get these nuances if they were doing animation styles like, you know, Lower Decks, for example, Um, which is great. And but there's there's something about, you know, the richness of this animation that I think really allows some emotional beats um, that you couldn't get uh, with other forms of animation.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Which characters did you find yourself drawn to the most?
0: Interestingly, Zero, I think, is my favorite character <laughs> on the show. You know, in a way, Zero is the kind of, it's it's kind of like the Odo, the Data of the show. The I mean, they're all aliens, but the animatic outsidery one. But what I found almost surprising is that I kind of knew that going in that Zero was going to be this ethereal. Um.
1: Medusan, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Being a Medusan, being an energy being, but what was wonderful is they're funny, yeah, very funny, yeah, in a subtle way, not some of the kind of slapstick goofiness that you get from Doll or from Chang'em Pog. But I I really like all the characters, and I feel like they're all archetypes, and they all have their they all feel unique. I'm looking forward to learning more about Zero. It's a little, you know. one area where Zero is going to have to deal with things is they have a tendency to just read everyone's mind around them, which seems a little
1: intrusive.
0: Perhaps. <laughs> I mean, although Doll is using that when he, for some reason, he feels like he needs to make a funny face to project his thoughts. Right. To send uh,
1: them. He's trying to send them that way. I mean, that's he's what I like about him is that he you can see the command potential is it is there. So even though he's presumptuous by saying I'm the captain and the others sort of criticize him for not doing stuff necessarily, although he does fix the shields. um, He has all those qualities and he's just got to learn how to bring out the good ones and sort of push the bad ones back.
0: He was the only one who could have done what he did. Yep. You know, he brought them all together. It was his belief, which zero says, you know, his, Optimism, his hope.
1: Right, right. That he's the only one who really felt like he still had a way to escape. I mean, they talked a lot about how they didn't want there to be hope. You know, that's Zero couldn't escape because then there would be hope. And somehow Dahl managed to still have hope, which is a very Star Trek message.
0: The show starts off with him kind of plotting an escape. Y- you get the sense this wasn't the first time he's tried. Right. Gwyn mentioned he had been in detention before. So let's get a little bit into the plot. I mean, it was the plot of this was pretty simple because this is really more about introducing us to the characters. So the plot is basically, you know, let's break out of prison, you know, so you get the band together and you form a plan and you break out. You know, we've kind of seen this a million times before in various forms of the prison breakout. But I, I still feel like it, it made sense. It was logical. Yeah, but they spent a lot of time on this prison. So I kind of feel like we're not seeing the last of it. That this isn't, they're not just going to leave. And that's that's it for this Tars Lamora place. Which is obviously where the Diviner is. So I guess when they cut back to him, we're going to have to go back to there.
1: And I hope we get some follow-up on the little kitty. On the Cation kitty.
0: There's definitely a feeling like you've got this ship. It obviously can fit more people. (laughs) In a way, I almost feel like uh, as they were escaping with the great sequence, you could see the kitty and the other miners cheering them on. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, God, someone just, if only they knew that that ship's got transporters, you know? (laughs) cuz <laughs> you know there's you know at least the little kitty. I mean it's it's, it's just kind of sad to see her left behind, but uh we I I could only assume that's not the end of their story.
1: Let's hope. There was a funny moment on the ship where Zero t- says they're going to need more people to run the ship when they first discover it and says that they'll need 37 appendages. <laughs> and then <laughs> Dahl says that's way too many appendages to keep this quiet. So <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I was like maybe they'll scoop up some more people but for now it's it's just our little group.
0: Why does zero need robot legs because most of the time the little zero ball it was just <laughs> floating around but then it also has legs so that, that I, I' I didn't understand that and why why does a telepath need a little antenna but I did like the whole I like the des, <laughs> the design I,
1: I felt like those were just parts that were found.
0: <laughs> Just random parts. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a que- it is an interesting question of how exactly does an energy being build something? You know, right? Each of these characters has a backstory, and I, I feel like we are going to learn more about that. And there's definitely some big mysteries, like Doll may be the biggest mystery because
1: they don't even know his species. He doesn't even know his species,
0: but he's speaking Federation standard. Yeah, right? the whole cat boot scene. was kind of making that clear he knows what a tellarite is he knows what a medusan is he knows what the outside world looks like but he doesn't know what starfleet is and he doesn't know what the federation is that doesn't add up but i do know at least from what we're hearing from the people behind the shows yes this will all make sense later i think your typical kid viewer is not This is kind of like there's two shows happening here. Star Trek fans are kind of trying to do the math on all of this, going, "Why are there all these Alpha Quadrant species? Why don't they know what the Federation is?" For a kid watching the show, when the Diviner mentions the Federation in passing, you know, it it means nothing to them, right? And I think that was the right thing for them to do in this show because the thing about this show is, and it it really struck me on my fifth viewing last night you know it's like these guys can't rely on nostalgia and callbacks to entertain the audience and it's a bigger challenge for them because as much as we love Lower Decks and Mike and the, his team they'll be the first to admit that they could they could just do a Star Trek gag that we're all going to love and it's because we all know Star Trek right um, you know, and they'll say it, it has to be organic, and it usually is. But this show, there is no such thing as nostalgia for the audience, or at least they have to assume as such. There is no such thing as a callback that a scene can rely on. They've got to make everything work, including all the oblique references to Starfleet and the Federation, feel just like part of the big mystery, because the whole point is the audience is going to be discovering the Federation and Starfleet and all those things, Um, Along with these characters who, you know, which we saw at the end when they see Janeway and they're like, who's that?
1: Right. But there's also, I think, for Star Trek fans watching it, there's no frustration that comes with that or why don't they know that or anything like that. So it, it manages to work on both levels at the same time.
0: So one of the characters, and going back to characters, I'm of two minds up. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Jason Matsoukas, and I think Jake and Pog is a fun character.
1: I love that he speaks about himself in the third person.
0: Yeah, that whole line of him, like, yes, making a series of bad mistakes, yeah, Jake Pog is aware. So that was yeah. great. You know, He's <laughs> excellent in his delivery, but the character feels like some someone in their 20s or 30s when Jank and Pog was, I, th- I think, is supposed to be another one of these orphans, another one of these kids. And in the end, because you get what you get when you bring in Jason, I'm not sure he feels like a kid.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure he was supposed to be a kid.
0: If you watch this episode, you you probably think of him as a, a young adult. But he is supposed to be another one of these teens. He's, even though the planetoid isn't full of them, was described as such, I think, in one of the early character you know, announcements and stuff. It's not that big of a deal. The question is, will the audience view him as a kid or an adult?
1: Right. Yeah. I didn't view him as a kid for sure,
0: but he's supposed to be. And I think, I think it's probably important because this is another case of why doesn't a Tellarite know what the Federation is?
1: And what's he doing where he is in the Delta quadrant?
0: I still definitely like the character and he's certainly providing a lot of humor. We've seen the character design for a while and in previews, but the pilot also reveals a kind of cool feature, which is his, his little robot hand, which <laughs> can turn into all sorts of devices. Although mostly he seems to either turn it into like a torch or a hammer. Those are his two favorite things to do. is <laughs> Cut things and hammer on things.
1: Which is very childlike for sure. Those would be your favorite things.
0: I almost feel like as Star Trek fans, though, and especially ship fans, there's going to be a lot of painful moments of watching him just hammer and slice up pieces of the Protostar where we expect someone to be using fine tools and doing delicate work on the ship. And that's not his style.
1: Right. Right. He's more of a smashy bang bang kind of guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that works when he gets down into engineering and, you know, needs to fix the, the warp core, for right. example. And of course, how does he know so much about engineering being someone so young? So there's so many questions that uh, I'm looking forward to learning the answers. We have eight more episodes for season one, so I'm sure we'll get there.
1: Yeah, the thing about having all these questions, which I like, is that I do feel 100% confident that none of these are just stray random things that they threw in there because they thought they were cool. They were all deliberately planted as seeds that are going to grow over the course of the season. Like, I just instantly have this faith in it.
0: I think we did get some clues about, I mean, so it's obvious that the Diviner's obsessed with the ship. The whole reason of the mine was the ship. So there's something... Very special about this ship, and one of the clues we get is if you're watching all the display panels on the bridge, we one of them did mention a something called a transwarp drive. Transwarp is obviously what the Borg use, and Mm -hmm. it it can allow you to travel at super speeds. And we know it's an experimental ship because of the NX. So. It it could be that. Now, this is something that is certainly not canon, but it was from the party I was at last night. So they have all these displays around the party. One of them, which was a display for champagne flutes, uh, but the graphic showed the proto-core oh. of the ship. And it mentioned proto-warp, So, which could be another name for the trans-warp the so the name proto star there's more to it and we've heard of proto matter before on in star trek so when they finally get down to engineering i think there's going to be some interesting stuff in there and i think that's what the diviner is all about right and why he's obsessed with don't scratch the ship
1: right <laughs> don't Dred- ruin my prize yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dreadnought was kind of surprising he 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 um is a little bit of a transformer,
1: oh yeah, yeah, he can turn so, into stuff,
0: <laughs> yeah, I imagine we're gonna see more things, but he like becomes a cannon, and I think a lot of fans of, of Star Wars are gonna say that there's a bit of general grievous in him, both in his demeanor and the fact that he you know throws off his cloak and turns into a spider thing and starts scrambling around all yeah, the, the ship definitely very, very grievous,
1: absolutely. But it also does make me look forward to the toys also.
0: Yes, yes. You know, what's interesting is I don't get a lot of Jimmy Simpson. They do a lot with the voice. If you hadn't told me Jimmy Simpson was voicing this character, you'd never know. In fact, I thought it sounded a lot like a kind of robotic Zachary Quinto.
1: Yeah, once you said that, on my next viewing, I listened to it again. I was like, yeah, he's got a little Quinto vibe.
0: Which is not a bad thing at all.
1: But I do think we I think that as we see more of him, maybe he'll start to sound more like Jimmy Simpson.
0: A big question about the Diviner and Dreadnought is how nuanced because this pilot basically, they're fairly one dimensional. Right. What Star Trek is great at and you get this with Gwyn, is taking a bad guy and adding nuance to them and sometimes even just completely turning them around which of course seven of nine is a prime example of will we get that from them i i I imagine we will you don't bring in john noble to just say evil things every episode right and you know cackle maniacally there's got to be more to this guy
1: no and i would say even if there's not a turnaround i do think we'll we will get much more information about why they're doing what they're doing in a way that will make sense to people, I think, like that will connect with people so that at least it's not just, oh, evil guy likes having people do mining for him.
0: I'm wondering, I mean, this is crazy Tony theory time, but I mean, there's definitely something going on with the, their race, which is the Val Nukat or whatever. I forget how it's pronounced. <laughs> If you notice when he talks to his daughter, Gwyn, they have these lines on their face and they don't appear organic, you know, because there's circles and they start glowing. And I'm wondering if they have technology built into them or, and here's the real stretch, are they like mostly technology? Because Zero can't read the Diviner. I'm not sure if Zero could read Gwyn.
1: That'll, we'll find that out, but. I mean, I assume we'll find that out. But yeah, that wasn't covered in the first episode.
0: And Gwyn has this insane ability with languages for someone her age. So I feel like they might be partially technological.
1: Definitely technology dependent in some way. I'm interested in that thing on Gwyn's arm that seems to live there and turn into a weapon and ha- have all kinds of tricks so right like how
0: does she control that is right. there some kind of mental control because how did it know to switch from one arm to the other arm yeah um, there's a
1: lot going on there that i'm very intrigued by and how
0: did they, what exactly was tying her up like did they have space ropes or glowing bil- glowing space ropes Um, you know because that doesn't seem to be standard starfleet issue there's definitely more to learn with the diviner and his family and what's going on with all of them
1: right why are they the last two of their species and what is his plan to fix that
0: there's a character we haven't mentioned yet because it's a character that's kind of a question mark which is murph i mean Dee bradley baker is great all the sounds are great a lot of funny little moments with murph i could see murph appealing to younger fans um
1: also people all over twitter are doing uh murph photobombs now where they're just <laughs> photoshopping murph into pictures <laughs> because they released i think there was an official thing released that made it look like he was photobombing so then everybody's been making their own i
0: it's love fun. that so rock talk brings murph onto the ship thinking oh now we're gonna understand murph but the ship doesn't <laughs> know what to make of him and
1: she thinks he's too smart for the translator
0: yeah but there i think there's when murph plops onto the console and it turns on the phasers or the pew 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 you know, the question is was that an accident or did murph know how to turn on the phasers
1: well, so I think that's going to be a running thing through the whole show: is that Murph is constantly going to do these things, and we will always keep wondering that.
0: Lucky accidents, but there's, no, you know, but like at the in the final episode, they're going to get they're going to twist something in the universal translator, and suddenly Murph is going to, you know,
1: talk like ha- this.
0: Yeah, that's like some, <laughs> you know, he's like, well, really. Felt, you know, my fellow crew members, uh obviously, you were unaware of the protostar, you know, and it's like, what?
1: <laughs> right, Or Murph will turn out to be a girl because Rock Talk just said, "I named him Murph <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> and rock we haven't talked about Rock Talk yet, who's my I mean, I love uh, Gwen because she's so complicated, but I love Rock Talk every time she opens her mouth. I'm just gritting and happy. I love everything that she says. I love, remember when we first saw the characters and I said, Oh, I, I hope that one's a girl because it's such an obvious looking male character.
0: Which they played into, or, you know, cause the, the natural voice, which makes sense that something that large makes is kind of a growling, you know, rock monster sound. Right. So when, when she's talking as a little girl, the real sound is what we heard. Um, but you did get elements of of her personality, like when they're in the elevator. I love the scene in the elevator um, where they're descending, and Dahl is trying to figure out what's going on, and uh, the, the little uh, um, educational video, the the, the safety, safety <laughs> <was> video. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's very subtle, um, but you can see her smiling when he can't reach the handhold and stuff. So there's there's kind of a wryness. But uh, no, I thought it was a great character and the reveal was great. But it was also very Star Trek. Like you don't assume right. you know who these people yes. are.
1: Right. Zero's not a robot. Rock Talk's not a big scary man. Like there was a lot of cool stuff going on there.
0: They don't talk a lot about Star Trek things, but there's Star Trek themes, themes of optimism, hope. The, the fact that the ship, which kind of is a proxy for Star Trek, brings them together, gets helps them work together as a crew and understand each other because we all start on this planet and it's a tower of Babel and no one can understand each other by design because the diviner doesn't want anyone working doing what
1: they end up doing. Yeah.
0: I guess that there aren't two of any species on because he doesn't want anyone ganging up on them. Right. Like when they were flying over, they should have just thrown one communicator out the side, you know, (laughs) just give those guys something. Right. Yeah. Come on.
1: I know, that was...
0: (laughs) They were busy, I get it, I get it. But still, it's like, God, I feel so bad for the cute little Cation.
1: Yeah, and I think we'll see some of that. I think we'll see some of the characters feeling bad for them.
0: But they had things to do. They had to get away from Dreadnought. Yes, I mean, that whole sequence was great. The, the, The coming through the waterfall moment.
1: That was beautiful. Yeah. And everybody cheering like that shows that how why they wanted to keep hope away because as soon as they see the ship going and everybody feels hope they start cheering
0: i guess you could say this could inspire revolution right that 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 cheering turned into some kind of revolt maybe now that they've been inspired by dald they could raise up arms and uh, fight the oppressors
1: right they've seen something's possible
0: there must be another one of those ships down there right (laughs)
1: let's let's keep going we'll find another
0: (laughs) let's talk a little bit about Janeway what did you think about the fact that there's almost no Janeway
1: I I think they orchestrated her appearance perfectly like everybody who's a Star Trek fan who's been reading about the show is watching and waiting for her so making people wait until the end I thought worked great and yeah. I mean, I don't even have an ant. I think that, that was, I thought the timing of it was terrific and hitting it right at the end makes you very excited for the next episode.
0: I knew we weren't going to get a lot of Janeway, but we almost got no Janeway. So you can't really get a sense of Kate, which is one of the reasons why I think they, they released a clip of her from the next episode where you really do get a sense of who she is, who the character is, her performance, and it's all great. You know, in my review, I almost barely mentioned her because she's barely in us. you know, so there's no way to really say how is it for Kate Mulgrew coming back? Does she still have it? but she does she obviously still has it. you know, she just snaps right back into the character. Oh, of
1: course. could there be any doubt? no but <laughs> but I do think it was smart the the smart thing about bringing her in at the end is that it really gave us time to learn who each of the other characters were first,
0: you know, again, for the you know uninitiated she's just you know a hologram lady
1: right and a in a uniform that may or may not look familiar to people
0: they've got to make hologram janeway a complete character that she's not it's not great to have her there because she's kate mulgrew janeway because that means nothing to their target audience you know they they have a challenge there because and i think kate mentioned this in our interview. You, she needs to connect with these kids she can't be seen as a bossy parenty you know stop pushing that button kind of person right even though you kind of want to say that to these you know when they were flailing around on the bridge they could have really used someone to say stop doing whatever you're doing and go do that thing because they didn't you know as zero admits um when they say you know I'm, I'm glad you know what you think i know what i'm doing because uh, <laughs> they don't it's kind of amazing they got that chip off the ground
1: i do i think that she will give them space to learn things rather than just telling them things based yeah. on the interviews that that we talked about last week
0: there were a few um even though there isn't a lot of star trek you know if you're listening and looking closely you definitely see things um
1: well, there was a great moment, I thought, when Dahl decides, is trying to figure out the plan because the Watchers are coming and they're all on the ship. And so he immediately comes up with a plan and he says, Rock, you're with me, which is exactly what the captains, all of our captains have always said, you're with me. And it right. shows that he's stepping up. I mean, it shows two things. One, it shows he's stepping up and he really does have the makings of a captain. And two, a little Star Trek line for all of us who are the fans,
0: you know. And he does the Captain-y things. He gets into a fist fight. He, his shirt doesn't get ripped. That would have been funny <laughs> if his shirt got ripped. That would been <laughs> uh, no, you can definitely see the makings of Captain Doll as he does. Obviously, yes.
1: Well, he does before he's ready, but he's got to do it because there's no one else who's going to do it anyway. Yeah. Although I sense, uh, who knows if if Gwyn is going to try to take over that spot.
0: How could she not? Right?
1: Yeah, she thinks he's really impulsive and talks a lot, and doesn't have a lot of faith in his abilities to do things.
0: That's kind of the big question of the show: is what is their motivation now that they're out? Because it, it, you know, the pilot did have a simple idea, which is leave, right? But yes. you know, now they're out there. Like, well, now what? You know, their their goal isn't to explore space necessarily. Every Star Trek show has a mission. What is their mission? We know what the diviner's mission is, but what is Doll's mission, and you know, do all of them share this mission? And I think Janeway is going to help guide them to have a mission. Yes, but there were also some kind of overt Easter eggs. Is the wrong word, but you know, when Zero is describing how they were brought to the um, asteroid, they arrived in the same container as you know from the original series episode. So and I guess that's a- kind of a, a standard Medusin box that they've kept the same design right. for over a century because it works, right?
1: And then also they showed Zero to a Lurian.
0: Hopefully that wasn't Morn. We don't think it's <laughs> Morn because we think Morn is drunk on that space station in Lower Decks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, poor, a poor Lurian is now gone completely insane. And how did he get there? Who knows? That,
1: that was a... A big scene to put in a kids show, because basically zero is being used in a horrible way, and yeah. doesn't want that. So I thought that was a a good strong emotional beat for the older kids who would pick up on it. And then I think anything it's too much for a little kid; they just they tend to ignore that stuff anyway.
0: So in addition to the cation kitten character, although you know every show that does a cation. And and the Star Trek movies, there, there there doesn't seem to be an agreed design of Cations. No. Right? <laughs> everyone is like, how much cat in this cat? You know, and because uh, yeah, Dr. Tana looks nothing like that character, nor, you know, or and in Star Trek 4, there were some Cations that looked very different than Moress from the animated series. So right. there's a lot of variety to Cations, I guess, is what we can say. Just um, like
1: people. Yeah.
0: The one thing that surprised me is, so we see Kazon, which kind of, ha- and he mentions Del- you know, it, that they're in the Delta, which kind of says, oh, it's Delta Quadrant, it's Voyager, we get that. But uh, we hear Kazon for the first time. So uh, we never heard the Kazon language on Voyager.
1: Right, because they always had translators.
0: And we hear the Kation language, which is, um well, I guess we've heard. I was
1: going to say this for Diana- the first time. Yeah well it is
0: overtly but yeah when tan has been purring and stuff i guess that's her way of you know her native tongue as it were <laughs> uh, <laughs> when she's in her little box so they if you think of this as the pilot they they are throwing us bones as it were for for the fans but Again, you didn't need to know anything about Star Trek to get what the kitten was all about, to get, you know, the Lurian was just an alien who was being terrified and you need an alien captain to bring the kitten on. So why not a Kazon? Yeah. All of that, I think, worked. None of it sent, seemed gratuitous. You know, I I don't know. I just, I can't say enough about this. this Because I remember when I first heard about the show, my first thought was, you know, that's great. They're going to do a Star Trek show for kids. I probably won't like it, but I, you know, I'm glad they're doing it. I think I even said that on this podcast like a year ago. The show is a delight. Sure, it's you know, it's probably not going to give me all the like, you know, like Star Trek Picard. We've got all these you know crazy theories about the time travel and Q, and it's going to get really complicated. And I'm really looking forward to season three because we've got a new ship coming. You know, and Discovery off also offers a lot of. Uh, analysis and you know darkness and character nuance and we're not we're not going to get a lot of that on the show Uh, and but it that's kind of okay it just it's just enjoyable and fun and i think a lot better than say because i'm a big star wars fan as we've talked about on the podcast before but i i really didn't like star wars resistance the latest show but i was like okay it's like that's okay that was for kids you know Right. But I did like Star Wars Rebels. I thought that was a strong show.
1: I loved the one before it, Star Wars the Clone Wars, that that animated show. I thought was great and gave a lot of depth to characters that I didn't see it in before necessarily.
0: But I think this show may work even better for kids because the characters on the show are kids and and Rebels had the one kind of main kid character as well. Right. And you know, so that's that's kind of the the thing about the show is it's 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 even though the characters are all kids, I still feel like it works for adults, you know, and certainly if you're watching it with kids.
1: Well, there are all different levels of kid, which I love. So you have sort of more teenagery kids, more brooding kids. And then you have Rock Talk who's like, it's magic which I loved. And <laughs> and like, maybe I'm telepathic. Like you have <laughs> them at different stages. And so that is always a lot of fun and spices things up. And you don't have a lot of characters who are the same. None of them, you know, use the same language. And I don't just mean language that you need a translator for, but just the way they speak. It's all very different and they all have strong, different points of view. You know what I did love also was that in this, the, the best way to get doll and and rock talk together besides like actually physically (laughs) linking them together was the fact that when that when everything comes crashing down rock talk saves doll's life and i thought that was so star trekky and sets up this great relationship between the two of them and sort of the surprise and hope of the show like there were so many moments that i thought were thematic as well as just fun little moments with this Star Trek thread running through the entire thing. Yeah. Like you don't need to say phasers for it to be Star Trek, you know?
0: Absolutely. Although I think it's going to get more and more Star Trek, this felt like Star Trek. The tone right. was
1: right. Right, right. I'm not saying don't put those things in. They will, and they're going to they're gonna do it in slow reveals, I'm sure, and we'll see more and more. But it's just I feel like the overall message and tone is 100% there in every scene.
0: Now, because we are older and hardcore Star Trek fans, I wanted to do a little bit of a mini focus group with my niece and nephew. So I also watched it with them to get the experience of watching the show with kids and also get their point of view. And I definitely feel like if you have the opportunity to watch Prodigy with kids, you should. Because you could see the delight in their eyes and there's things they laugh at that you might not have even noticed and it's it's just a fun experience
1: yeah my kids are too old i have teenagers i have to go find somebody's small children
0: neither of them really knew anything about star trek i haven't really had a star trek thing to share with them annie's 12 david's nine they're both familiar with star wars but again star wars is kind of better at having things that works for kids yeah so they were aware of star trek but they didn't really know it i did actually record A little bit of a discussion I had with them after the episode was on my phone. So it's not the best quality.
1: It's adorable and delightful. (laughs) I loved listening to them talk and I love listening to you ask them questions. But I thought one of the, you know, because Janeway is such a significant character to all of us Star Trek fans. I thought it was smart that you asked them specifically, like, what did you think of that hologram character who popped up at the end? So I'd love to hear them talk about that.
0: What did you think of the hologram character at the end, Janeway?
2: Um, I thought she was kind of surprising because she just appeared out of nowhere.
0: Now, did you recognize her at all, or did you?
2: I sort of, not really. Right. I sort of recognized her, like I think, like mostly her outfit or like the suit she was wearing. I recognized it from just seeing it on posters and videos and things like that. Right.
0: Um, but what do you, what what would you expect from that kind of character?
2: I think she's gonna, like, be there the rest of the show, and not really do anything major, but kind of just help them navigate around Mm. the galaxy, because they don't know what they're doing right now. Right. Because they're kids, and, yeah, and they also have, like, barely seen the stars before, and all the places... Because they've been uh, probably prisoners for a long time.
0: That gives you a sense of how the show is working on a whole different level for kids who don't know Star Trek. Because they really have no connection to Janeway and to Kate Mulgrew. But they still get what this character is all about in such a brief moment. Yep. And I think we're going to get more of that in in the next episode, but kind of mission accomplished even though because i think it was daring how little janeway there was in this episode but i i i think it still works
1: a hundred percent and i think these you know your your family proves it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes (laughs) we we represent all people
1: yes of course you do (laughs)
0: uh which this isn't on tape but uh later i you know we were talking about the ship and I think this is interesting. Both of them say they recognize the ship. Like they're like, Oh yeah, that was in, yeah, that was in the movie. Right. This is, you know, the funny thing about Star Trek fans is we obsess about the ships, but you know, you've got kind of a saucer section and a back section and two nacelles. That's a Star Trek ship. Right. We noticed the various differences, but for someone like them, they're like, Oh yeah, that was the one from the movie. You know, they don't.
1: Which tells you they did a good job because it looks like a Star Trek ship and they can tell that.
0: If you just saw a shadow of it on the wall, it's no different, you know, I know it is, but the USS Enterprise from 1966, you know, it's got the basic components. Although us fans, we could say it is basically the USS Voyager and the USS Enterprise from the J.J. J. Abrams movie had a baby and that's the USS Protostar, yep. essentially, which is fine. And
1: um, then the ship gets to be a kid too.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Yeah. What else uh, jumped out at you at uh, my little chat with the kids?
1: I liked that they got a really good sense of Gwyn. Like they really got sort of the the conflict, all of the nuance of that character.
0: Let's listen to what Annie had to say about Gwyn.
2: I like the girl, the daughter of the like boss of the evil guys. Because I think she also has some good in her because she cared about some of the orphans that were in the jail.
0: Right. There was the bad guy, the divider, Gwyn, his daughter, and Dreadnought yeah. were kind of working together. But she, you see that she didn't fit in with them. She yeah. has, you know, because at the end she's still being held prisoner. But you, you think that eventually she's going to...
2: Like, stick with them and just realized because she was really amazed by the stars when they first left yeah. the planet like she really likes the outside world I and she really wanted to see the stars because she never got to since her father would never le let her leave the planet ever right which was sad i thought
0: i was surprised how much they picked up both of them actually picked up on gwyn i mean because there, there were subtle things again this gets to the animation of The way Gwyn reacted to the ship, the way her eyes widened when they left, little things like that really paid off. Yep. I love Annie saying, you know, there's good in her, you know, it kind of reminds me of how Luke Skywalker talked about Darth Vader.
1: Yeah. And Annie's 12, you said? Yeah. Yeah. So she's old enough to be picking up on all that stuff for sure.
0: Yeah, David's 9 going on 3.
1: <laughs> and rolling under the table you said. <laughs> yeah, he's
0: he's got he's just a little ball of energy. Love it. And he's very thoughtful. She reads a lot. They're both very bright. They both do very well in school, but he's got a whole other level of energy going on. He's <laughs> he's quite the handful. And I love them both very much.
1: Yeah, they they sound great. And I love listening to you with them. Obviously, you can tell you guys have a good relationship.
0: And now I'm looking forward to having this to share with them. You know, we see a lot of comments and people talking about how older fans are looking forward to being able to watch the show with a younger generation, their kids, their nieces, their nephews, their grandchildren. Yeah. And I think that that's great that this show exists and is giving people that opportunity to share something they love star trek not that you couldn't share other parts before but this i think is just makes that easier it doesn't always necessarily work to say okay well let's watch encounter at far point i remember (laughs) when i was 14 watching this and you just can't expect a 14 year old today to have that same experience right as you did necessarily although some will for sure yeah um And, you know, we do know because of the streaming services that people have rediscovered these shows and there's new young fans of Voyager and all of these shows. But uh, I think Prodigy is just a great opportunity to do that in a different way.
1: And I also think it does just what... The Hageman brothers have been saying they've been wanting to do with it. It's a great entry point into the franchise because you can walk into it without knowing anything. They've achieved it. So they've talked about it. A lot of times we hear producers talk about things that they're trying to do. You don't always see if it works in this case. I thought it worked beautifully.
0: I think it'll be interesting to talk to Annie and David at the end of the season and ask them questions like, what's the Federation? What's a Klingon? yes what's a warp a, drive what's a phaser what's a what's a janeway you know
1: a great idea s-
0: you know and see how because you know, right now the answer to all of those i don't know, you know the goal of the show is that yeah they'll not only pass the pop quiz but they'll be interested in that so i think we've kind of covered oh, the premiere of star trek of. prodigy yeah um <laughs> let's move on to our bits of the week
1: all right what's yours
0: well mine is another one of you know two of my favorite things colliding i'm a little bit of a political junkie and for some reason it's still a little unclear to me why that but this week a few members of congress got together to debate star wars versus star trek in a virtual online debate (laughs) why
1: just for fun
0: just for fun (laughs) so cory booker who's famously a star trek fan was uh, on the Star Trek side, I was going to um, say
1: on the good side.
0: That I mean, I love them both.
1: Yeah, so I, 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 I mean, mean, it's
0: always a silly debate. Star Wars, it versus is Star it's Trek, like, it's like.
1: I'm a Star Wars fan too, so it is kind of silly.
0: But Corey, I mean, the, he does get into that. You know, the the thing that makes Star Trek great is that it is about our future. It gives us hope for the future. Star Wars is a fantasy set a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Trek is saying. This is achievable. So it's it's worth So we'll have a link to the video and you could watch the members of Congress discuss Star Wars and Star Trek.
1: They really, it's the important issues, you know?
0: <laughs> exactly. What's your bit of the week?
1: Mine is a bit of a plug for myself. Um, I'm going to be hosting a, a Zoom discussion about Prodigy for a site that I've written for called The Water Cooler. Um, which is just a site about TV shows. So it is happening Thursday, November 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, And I will post a link for anyone who wants to sign up and join. It's just going to be a big Zoom conversation. It's sort of like an after watch party. It gives everybody time to watch because obviously the premiere is up now. And so this is next week. Um, And hopefully we'll have a good discussion. I mean, it'll be a bunch of adults, which is interesting. But I'll put up a link to it. It should be fun. I've never done anything like this before, so I'm excited about doing it. And I'm looking forward to getting a whole bunch of opinions from people sort of outside my my Star Trek circle.
0: Can I jump in and ask annoying questions? Sure. Miss Ulster. Miss
1: Ulster. <laughs> it's like a classroom all of a sudden.
0: <laughs> what's a phaser? Yeah. What's a,
1: what's a Janeway? That's when I click the thing, like, mute that person. (laughs) (laughs) I think their idea for these discussions is that it's like a book club for TV shows. And they're trying to launch a whole series. And if this is successful, I will probably be their Star Trek person doing all the ones for Star Trek shows.
0: Wow. So will you be drinking box wine? (laughs)
1: Let's hope.
0: (laughs) So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek, a momentous one, because it's only the second time we've discussed a series premiere. We launched this podcast because of Lower Decks, if you remember, back in the day, back in 2020. I
1: feel like we've been doing this forever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, third series premiere will be in 2022. So every year we get a new series premiere, hopefully. We'll be back next week to talk about episode three and to talk also a bit about the first episode of center seat.
1: All right. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, please come to the site and leave us comments. So we know what you're thinking. Bye.